Imagine the context uh, of large crowds following you and you have the ability to, to really demand uh, attention and to get things done. And, and, and as you look at these crowds, uh, you have an opportunity to truly change lives. What would you do? And, and from another perspective, imagine that you are one of those that are in that crowd or in that culture, in that group of people that want to see something that can truly change lives. In Matthew chapter 9, we have the context given to us of different people with different elements coming to Jesus. And as Jesus sees them, he acts as a leader and provides an example of leadership for us that I think all of us can emulate in our lives. Oftentimes, we separate Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 10 uh, from one another. But truly, I believe that Jesus is displaying in these chapters the type of leader that we as Christians ought to be. Sometimes we think of leaders as only those individuals that lead large crowds of people. But every single one of us can be a leader. Moms and dads ought to be leaders. Even our little children can be leaders for others. Anyone can be a leader. And so this morning I want us to start by thinking about leadership and the example of leadership that Jesus gives us. And then I want us to notice the instruction that Jesus provides to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. And, and then think about our role as leaders in our sphere of influence today. Let's begin by looking at Jesus' example of leadership in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, as you look at this, again, remember, notice that, that all these different folks are, are coming to Jesus. And beginning in verse 18, he's healing people. Uh, it, it says, while he was saying these things uh, to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and, and said, my, my daughter has just died. Come and lay your hands on her and she will live. Of course, as, as Jesus is, is uh, uh, going to do that, we find out that there's, there's uh, somebody else uh, in, in the crowd, or, or as Jesus is going, uh, you know, there's all this uh, uh, excitement in the crowd uh, as he's doing that. Verse 27, uh, two blind men see Jesus, and they say, Jesus, have mercy on us. And verse 32 uh, as they were going out, uh, a mute man, a demon-possessed man, uh, was brought to him. And so you have all this excitement, all these people looking to Jesus uh, during crises in their lives, looking for some sort of healing. And Jesus is able to provide that to them. At the same time, Jesus is teaching the crowds, and the crowds are enthralled at the things that Jesus is, is doing. Verse 35 just summarizes the circumstance. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease 
and every kind of sickness. And so you have people coming to Jesus, crowding to Jesus, where he goes, in part because they're seeking the great healer that they've heard about. But they're also hearing that gospel message. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then notice verse 36. And this is where we begin to look and see the leadership of Jesus. Verse 36 says, Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep, without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. What is a leader? There's a pithy statement that sometimes is used, and it's frustrating to me, but it's, a leader is one who leads. You know, and some people will say that and they'll say, oh, that's so wise. You know, that's so, that's so great. A leader is one who leads. I mean, that kind of irks me a little bit, right? Because uh, that's kind of circular reasoning, right? But what is a leader? A leader is someone who influences somebody else to change their attitude, change their thinking, or change their behavior. Right? So you and I can have a conversation about a topic and, and we might have different points of view on that topic and we might leave that conversation uh, still with our separate ideas, separate views on that topic. Nothing has changed. There's no leadership there other than we've just had a discussion. There are people. Some people say, well, a leader is someone who who leads to uh, uh, great things or inspires people to do great things. But I disagree with that. I mean, there are some people that say leadership is only good stuff. But certainly I can think of people like Hitler and others throughout time who have influenced people to change their behavior, their attitudes, their thinking for very evil purposes the very evil ends. When we think about the peer pressure that our children sometimes face, there are leaders in their lives who influence our children to change their behaviors, don't they? They are leaders. Leaders for evil. Leaders for bad purposes. What we see with Jesus is his leadership is based in his concern for the people. Hitler's concern was not a concern for the people of Germany. He wanted power. And he was able to influence people to have that power. The people that sometimes influence our kids to do things they ought not to do are not interested in our kids. They're interested oftentimes in just having somebody else do the bad stuff with them. They don't want to do it by themselves. Jesus was interested in the people. Did you notice that in verse 36? 
seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Godly leadership, Christian leadership, is rooted at least in part in a desire to serve others. There's a recognition that there is a need for leadership, that there is a, a, a need for direction. Did you notice that the text says, because they were distressed and dispirited like a sheep without a shepherd? Or like sheep without a shepherd? I haven't spent a whole lot of time around sheep. But I've been told that, that, that sheep are completely lost if there's not someone guiding them, right? Uh, if they're not in a herd, uh, they're, they're kind of in trouble. They can't figure out the simple things to do. Is that true in our life? You know, it was interesting. When I was in high school, towards the end of my high school years, kind of the beginning of my college years, you had the grunge movement, right? Uh, and everyone wore the, you know, the, the dark clothes and the really baggy pants and, and, and this, that, and the other. And I remember one preacher uh, making the observation. He said, you know, uh, if you talk to one of those kids that's dressed that way, you'll say, you know, why are you dressed that way? Well, I'm just being an individual. With all the other 20 kids that are dressed the same way? You know? Sometimes we want to just follow the herd, whatever the herd is. Sometimes the herd's not going in the right direction. But you see, the, the example that Jesus uses here, or that Matthew uses here, is that Jesus is distressed because uh, the people of Israel at the time, they, they were searching for something. They were searching for someone that would lead them in the right way. And you had some Pharisees. You had a lot of Pharisees, actually. You had Pharisees, there were about 5,000 Pharisees, uh, uh, were told in the first century. Josephus says there are about 5,000 Pharisees in Jerusalem at this time. And, and they were kind of seen by many people as being the leaders of the day. But others did not follow their leadership. Yeah, you had Pharisees that were one political religious group, uh, and, and, and they were seen by many as being, uh, and, and they said, you know what, we, we can live in this world with the Romans, but we're going to stand a little bit aloof. And, and then you had the Essenes who said, no, no, Pharisees, you guys do not know what you're talking about. We've got to completely separate ourselves from those guys. And then you had the Sadducees that said, ah, can't beat them, join them, right? As long as we can still sacrifice in the temple, we're all good. And you had all these different things going on. You had the Jewish people who began to look at their Old Testaments. They did not call them the Old Testaments. It was just the Scriptures, right? But they were looking at the Scriptures. They were looking at the prophets. And they said, you know, in the time of that, that, that fourth kingdom is when God's going to set up this other kingdom and... and, and this seems to be the time now. You had a lot of different people that led rebellions against the Roman government. Can you imagine being a Jewish person? One of the things we don't talk a lot about the church is that period of time known as the intertestamental period, right? 
the intertestament, you know, the period between the 300 years between the last book of the Old Testament being written and the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? That's the intertestamental period, right? But that's Judas Maccabeus and all those guys. And, and we don't talk a lot about that. We don't know a lot of that history, because, you know, unless you're kind of a history buff. Uh, you know, and it's kind of boring, frankly, for a lot of folks. But, you know, you had Alexander the Great come in and, and sweep through the area, uh, and then Alexander the Great died. And his four generals decided they were going to divide up his territory and fight each other for, you know, uh, decades to see who could control what territory. And that's when Judas Maccabeus comes around, you know. The Jews, fight, you know, get a little bit of independence from the Greek generals during, during that lifetime. And they have just a small window of time in which they have that independence. And then here comes the Romans. And now you have Roman soldiers living in your cities. You have Roman uh, soldiers living in your territory. And these guys are mean guys. And if they get tired of carrying their load and you happen to be close by, they'll say, hey, you, pick up my stuff and carry it for me. And you're bound to do it. We're not accustomed to that, are we, as Americans? And so here's Jesus, and he's, he's talking, and he's looking in this very confusing time as a nation. And the text says Jesus has compassion for them. They don't know what they're supposed to be believing, what they're supposed to be doing, who they're supposed to be listening to. And Matthew describes that time as being a period of time in which the people were depressed or distressed, rather, and dispirited. Where is this king going to come from? Where is this Messiah going to come from? And so Jesus displays his leadership because... He takes action. Many of the people are looking to him to be that Messiah, and rightly so. But notice what Jesus does as we come into chapter 10. He says, pray that God will send workers into the field or into the harvest, because the harvest is right. The time is now. Notice what Jesus does. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. Jesus said, just cast out an evil spirit. And to heal every kind of disease. Jesus has been, just been traveling through the cities of, uh, of Judea and Galilee, casting out diseases, healing. Verse 2 tells us who these 12 people were. But then notice verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent out after instructing them. Jesus' leadership was to address the problem by taking people that he had equipped with the truth. People that he could trust with the gospel message. Empowering them to do specific things for the purpose of preaching the gospel. 
which at that time was that the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus acted and provided a direction and provided a message and provided a task for his disciples to do. Let's look at some of these instructions that Jesus says. Verse 5, Jesus says, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Leadership can be any type of influence in which we influence somebody else to adopt a, a change of attitude, behavior, or thinking on something. Right? And, and, and so leadership can be good or bad. But Christian leadership, godly leadership, is leadership, first of all, that is based on godly principle and truth. And the principle or truth that Jesus was equipping these men to take as they went about preaching was that the kingdom of God was at hand. Matthew chapter 10 and its parallel is sometimes called the limited commission. It's limited because, did you notice Jesus said, I only want you to go to the, to the lost sheep of Israel. I only want you to go to the Jewish people. Because this wasn't about the church yet. It was getting there. But it was going to those lost sheep that, he, that we just read about who were distressed and dispirited, knowing that the time of the Messiah was right, but not knowing who to listen to, who, who, who to follow, where to, where to go to find truth. And Jesus says, I'm sending you to them with the message that yes, now is the time. But it may not be in the way that you think. And so Jesus sends them with a specific message to a specific audience. He empowers them to do things that will allow them to gain an audience. Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. He gives them some other instructions about what they are to take and that sort of thing. But then notice verse 11. He says, in whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it. Stay at that house until you leave that city. Enter the house and give your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing. Verse 14, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that city, shake the dust off your feet. This sounds like a harsh statement, but what Jesus is saying is there's a lot of work to be done, guys. We don't have time to fool around with folks that aren't interested in the message. We don't have time to fool around with, with, with folks that don't want to listen to the substance of what you're saying and believe it and act on it. You go and you find those individuals that will listen to the truth and respond to it. And so Jesus tells his disciples, that's what you need to be doing. Finding those who are interested in the truth. And then notice what Jesus says beginning in verse 16. His third instruction. It is how they are to relate 
to those who are the haters, so to speak. Verse 16 says, Behold, I send you out as sheep into the midst of wolves, so be, as, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is your Father who speaks. One more thought on this, verse 21. He says, brother will betray brother to death, and father and his, his child and his children will rise up. But you will be hated by all, verse 22, because of my name. He goes on to tell them that they will endure the same types of persecutions uh, that he endured and would endure. And then in verse 32, Jesus says, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life must lose it. And who has lost his life for my sake will find it. All of these verses are hard verses, but essentially what Jesus is saying is, as a leader who is going out to the community to preach this gospel, you need to be aware there are going to be people that reject it. There are going to be people who say, I, I believe that, and that's fine. When you encounter those folks, just go the other way. Move on to someone who's ready to receive the message. But then you're going to have people that are so obstinate to the gospel message that they will seek to harm you. There will be people who are so obstinate to the message <coughs> that they're willing to sell out their brethren, their family members. And there are going to be people that challenge you with some very challenging persecution. You stick with the truth. And this is a powerful statement of leadership. Because leadership is, includes integrity. If you truly believe what you are saying and you are trying to influence others to change an attitude or a, a thought or a way of thinking or a behavior, you need to be able to have integrity to stick with that position regardless of what persecution people throw at you. That's Christian leadership. Now that we've looked at these instructions, let's think about well, what does this mean for us as individual Christians? We need to recognize, first of all, that Jesus is sending out his 12 apostles. Right? These are 12 disciples now. These are going to become the 12 apostles, or later be known as the apostles, right? God empowered them and endowed them with, with miraculous abilities. You and I aren't going to have that. But you and I have the ability to influence others, to change their thinking, to change their attitudes, to change their behaviors. 
It may be that that leadership that we have is over a group of folks. Someday elders will have deacons. They'll be leaders. They will be influencing us in our behavior, in our thinking, in our attitudes. There may be some here that become preachers, evangelists, missionaries, right? Kimberly's in the other room. She hates it when I say things like this. But wouldn't it be great to pray for your kids? Please make my child a missionary. Send them away. Now, someday she's on board with that message, right? Uh, but, you know, have you ever prayed for your child? Make them a missionary. Make them a missionary. We don't know what we have here, right? We have some very young ones in this room. Who knows what God will use with them? As a parent, you have the ability to influence your children to think about godly things. We have the ability to influence people that we work with, people that we go to school with, people that we do business with. And we're so hesitant sometimes to want to reach out to folks with the gospel message. But you know what makes it easier for us to do that? When we are rock solid, secure in that message. Jesus told his disciples, I want you to be rock solid, secure in your message. Recognize that sometimes people are going to Say, I don't want anything to do with that. And that's fine. Move on. Don't waste your time there. Go find the person that is receptive, that is open. Sometimes you will find people that get up in your face about the things that you teach. But as a Christian, have that integrity. Be willing to say, this is what I believe, and I know why I believe it. That's leadership that we need to have. Folks, Jesus looked at this world and he said, this is a place that is full of sheep that need a leader. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, I know, could have done all things himself, but he looks at these 12 guys and he says, I'm sending you out to help me accomplish my mission. The mission has changed. No longer is the gospel message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand for the people of Israel. Now the message is the kingdom is here for all to enter. And they can enter through the blood of Christ by being united with death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. That's our message in a nutshell. Jesus loves you so much. He wants you to be able to put away all the things that distress you. He wants you to be able to put away all the things, all the guilt, all the sin in your life that's weighing on your mind, weighing on your heart. And for you to know that there is healing available to you. That there is a different way to live life that can bring peace and hope, and love. And it's all possible because Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, deity on earth, 
came for the express purpose of dying and carrying that guilt so that he could destroy the power of death over you. And he was raised from the tomb as a demonstration of his power over death so that you too can be raised from the tomb and spend an eternity with his Father. Jesus said the harvest is ready. Are we ready to be the leaders to send that message, to take that message to the sheep around us that are waiting, looking for a leader? If you're here this morning and you need to follow Christ by being united with Jesus in baptism, or if you're here and you have other prayers, other needs that you want the church to be aware of, whatever you need, once you come, together we stand and sing.